Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Nathan Crane. Nathan is a natural health researcher and certified holistic cancer coach. He is an award-winning author, inspirational speaker, Amazon number one best-selling author, and 20 times award-winning documentary filmmaker. Nathan is on the board of directors for the Beljansky Foundation, a nonprofit conducting scientific research into natural solutions for cancer. Nathan is also the director of Healing Life, president of the Holistic Leadership Council, founder of Conquering Cancer, and director and producer of the award-winning documentary film, Cancer, The Integrative Perspective. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Nathan, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center, who makes the show possible. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I've really been looking forward to talking to you today. Haley, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. And, you know, first, I'd love you to start off with your childhood and, you know, you overcame a lot and I'm sure it made you into the person you are today. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, you know, the short version of it is I had a pretty rough childhood, ended up homeless at 15, uh, living on the streets, ended up addicted to fast food, sugar, uh, as well as, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, man-made drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. And I really was headed for an early grave, unfortunately. I was definitely headed for a cancer diagnosis, but most people didn't even think I was going to make it to 18 years old. So I was really lucky, definitely had some angels on my side looking after me that helped me get past all of that. And at 18, I decided to, to uh, transform my life and choose to live a healthy life. And, you know, there's a lot of things that led up to that point. Some great people that came into my life that helped me along the way. Uh, moved to San, from Bozeman, Montana to San Diego, California, and really started my life over there. And really got committed to learning about health, becoming healthy, wanting to live a good life. I started meditating. I started going to the gym. I quit smoking cigarettes. I eventually, it took me years, but eventually got completely off of alcohol, uh, got completely off of all pharmaceuticals, all hard drugs, um, all fast food. And, you know, over the years, as I learned about health, as I researched it, as I started interviewing doctors and health experts and 
looking, learning as much as I possibly could, reading the literature, experimenting on myself, using my own life, my own mind, my own spiritual experience, my own body as a laboratory and trying different cleanses and detoxes and diets along the way, um, started being able to help others avoid, you know, pain and suffering in their own lives and started helping people dealing with cancer, learn what are the causes of cancer? What is at the root cause of cancer? And what are the diet and lifestyle things that we can do backed by science to actually help prevent a cancer diagnosis or help somebody dealing with cancer have a better chance at overcoming it? So, you know, that was 18 years ago now when I started this journey and uh, still learning, you know, still experimenting, still improving. It's a lifelong thing, right? Completely agree. Yes, I, I had cancer 25 years ago and I'm constantly researching and, and you know, talking to people. It's a constant figuring out, you know, it's a puzzle. But, you know, just back to your childhood a little bit because, you know, there's so many people that that have those kind of things that overcome what you had to overcome. But what do you think, I mean, it's probably not just one thing, but I'm sure you hit rock bottom. Like, how do you, did you feel you got out of that? Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't one thing. It was a, like, like you said, it was many things over time. It was definitely the suffering. It was definitely the pain. It was definitely the rock bottom after rock bottom after rock bottom. It was the sleepless nights dealing with the come downs from, you know, all of these substances. It was the the pain and suffering, the unhappiness in my heart, the the discontent, the, you know, constant suffering of, of a life that I actually thought was a cool life. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to be like these guys I see on TV and these rappers and these gangsters and all this kind of stuff. That was the people I was around. That was the life I was living, you know, at 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And it was a life of suffering. It was a life of pain. It was life of disease, dis-ease for sure. Ended up having gut issues and loss of weight and malnourishment and pale white skin, you know, brittle basically. And so the combination of the pain and suffering, which is a powerful catalyst as we know, not everybody overcomes the challenges in their life, whether it's the, the habits that lead to a cancer diagnosis or any chronic disease diagnosis for that matter, or the, um, you know, diet and lifestyle habits that just lead to fatigue and pain and obesity and, and a lack of, of meaning and purpose in life, which I certainly had at that time. But for me, it was having a, a powerful mentor and family come into my life, uh, Dennis Davis and Martina Davis. They were my best friend's parents at the time. And he was sent away to like a military school, like a boot camp kind of thing for I think six months or a year. And I moved in with them and, and they're amazing people. They, you know, ate a vegetarian diet and uh, studied spirituality and talked to me about classical music and Buddha and Jesus and these ancient teachings. And I really soaked it up. I loved it. I love having those conversations. I'd go out and be gone for a few days, binging and partying and all that stuff. And then I'd come back and be restored, you know, and eat a healthy meal and be around loving, caring people who really cared for me and wanted to help me um, and didn't judge me. You know, I think that was really important. Any parents out there, I'm a parent, I have two children. And I think being, uh, or grandparents who are looking after grandkids, you know, 
being there as guides, trying to detach ourselves as much as possible, which is obviously very challenging. And one of the, you know, Buddhist teachings that I've learned over the years that's been very powerful in my life is uh, detachment or unattachment. And it's not about not loving somebody. It's about not being attached to the outcome because it's the attachment that creates suffering. Because always something's going to go different than you want it to go. Always. So <laughs> You're going to be attached to, to the outcome of something. You want it to, to happen this way or this job to be that way or this person to treat you this way or this conversation to go this way or this diagnosis to go away. And always you're going to be disappointed because you're attached to the outcome. So it's not about um, not loving or appreciating or caring for somebody. It's about um, learning how to love and have compassion without attachment to the outcome. And I know that's easier said than done, but they certainly treated me that way. And so there was no judgment ever. And being in that environment, you know, being around people who were caring and loving and supportive and not attached, which is easier for an external family like that to do who practices that for a kid who's not their own than parents trying to do that for their own kids. So I think I lived with them for six months to a year, somewhere in there. And I would come and go, come and go, come and go. And over that time, we had these conversations. And I remember sitting there one day on the couch and we were having a conversation. All of a sudden, I saw this vision. I saw this vision come to me so clearly. And I was literally, it was like a projection of myself in the future I was standing on a stage. There were like hundreds of people in the audience and I was speaking and uh, teaching and sharing. And I saw like a healthy version of myself. It was, it was, it was, I know today it was a premonition at the time. I didn't, I just had this inspiration from it. You know, it was like, wow, wonder if something like that could be possible. And so my best friend came back from boot camp. He, we basically, he got into the same old crap that we were into, getting into trouble. And then he said, I'm moving to San Diego. And I said, I'm going with you. So we moved to San Diego and basically started our lives over uh, in 2005. And that was, you know, my big leap forward into the unknown, changing my environment, changing my habits, changing my lifestyle and choosing initially to, to be sober, to be healthy, to learn what that means. Cause I didn't really know what health meant at the time, you know? So that was a constant yeah. experiment for me. So to answer the question, there's a combination of both the pain and suffering combined with the possibility of hope, which is essential, essential for anyone. You're talking about cancer. I've worked with cancer patients all the time. It's essential for dealing with something like cancer. You know, you, you have to, um, number one, recognize whatever the pain or suffering or, or, you know, trauma or whatever it is that's associated with this diagnosis um, as not the, doesn't have to be the end result, you know, with hope and with possibility and with support and with guidance and with a positive mindset, your life can be transformed for the better. Maybe the cancer never goes away, but your quality of, of health, your quality of life can improve, your overall well-being can improve, your overall sense of just happiness within yourself can improve. And I think at the end of the day, all of us are looking for that. All of us are looking for more joy in our lives, more peace in our lives, more happiness in our lives. Certainly health contributes to that. Health is not the only thing, but it is a really, really important thing. Um, and so, you know, that's a lot of what I share with people is like it, it, cancer doesn't have to be a death sentence. It can be something that can 
transform your life for the better. And many of the cancer patients I've worked with over the years have told me cancer was a wake up call. And actually now my life is better than it was before the cancer. Right. So, you know, that, I'm not saying that's easy for people to understand right away, but it is possible. Exactly. And I so appreciate you talking about that story because you overcame big things and, you know, it proves that people can overcome. It just takes, like you said, support and the willingness to to change, to try. So thank you so much. Now, how did you get into the cancer space? So my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer and I went to visit him back in 2012, 2013. And I was already kind of on this health journey, this spiritual journey, doing a lot of research, a lot of experimentation, lots of interviews with experts. And, and I didn't really know anything about cancer at that time. And then when I went to sit with him, it was just this really, you know, sad and painful feeling of hopelessness and helplessness because he was, you know, getting the best treatments available by conventional medicine standards. He wasn't limited by money. He had the chemotherapy, had the radiation. Uh, he had leukemia at the time. And he was sitting there just in so much pain and agony. And, you know, I later found out the pain and agony and suffering and the hair falling out and all that was from the treatment he was receiving. It wasn't from the cancer. And uh, sitting there, not knowing what to say to him, not knowing, it's like I knew there had to be better solutions. I had this experience in natural health up to that point, but I didn't know anything about cancer. I was like most people, just afraid, didn't know what it is, what causes it, what we can do about it. And then he shortly passed away after that. Mm. And that year in 2013, I started, I just had this drive to learn everything I could about cancer, to uh interview as many experts on it as possible and to share that with others, to give hope to others. And so I started one of the first online summits ever about cancer. Um, and then that led to documentary series and conferences and books and masterclasses. And that's, you know, been a primary focus, a huge focus of mine for the past uh, just around over a decade now. And so, you know, what I learned about cancer is revolutionary because you realize that most people don't, just like I didn't, know what causes cancer, what we can do about it, how to empower ourselves to allow our bodies to fight it naturally. And one of the misconceptions um, that I think we have subconsciously is that cancer is kind of something you get, right? We don't actually believe it's like a virus or that's contagious, but subconsciously we treat it that way. And anyone can can relate to this if they have a family member who's been diagnosed, for for example, you know, they'll still hug them. They know they're not going to get cancer from them. But when you explain it, even, oh, she got cancer. He got cancer. Right. They you get cancer. It's just a language we use. It's like it's something you get it's something that happens to you. And cancer is not something that happens to you. In fact, it's a process within our physiological functions within the body that is actually a natural process at some degree. It's, it's all of us have cancer cells inside of us. Right now I have cancer cells inside of me. Everybody tuning in does whether you have a cancer diagnosis or not, right? It's a, it's a natural biological process within us, but it's also 
up to our bodies and our immune system to be able to handle those cancer cells, to be able to find them, identify them, target, destroy them, you know, uh, remove them from our body. So it doesn't turn into a tumor 20 or 30 or 40 years later, or it doesn't metastasize and spread to lymphatic system and spread to other organs in the body. And so when we like that shift in the mindset is so powerful because it goes, oh, it's a process and, and it's kind of a normal process. It happens and our bodies are meant to deal with it and, and, and take care of it, um, you know, heal it, repair it, repair those cells, those chronically fermenting cells. And when it grows out of control is because of the environment in which those cells are living or allowing it to grow out of control. Right. And so it takes you to a deeper question. Okay. What is the environment that's allowing those chronically fermenting cells to start to grow out of control and rapidly grow? And that's when you have a cancer diagnosis. So that's the big question we can answer is what causes. So that's always led me to that question. What causes cancer? Because when you understand the causes, then you can understand the solutions to prevent or help your body fight against it. You're right. I, I mean, I, you, said such an important thing because people who get cancer just think it was bad luck or maybe doctors kind of give them that feeling that it was just bad luck. That's what they tell them. That's what they, that's what they tell the patients very often. It's the luck of the draw. It's your genetics. I don't really know. I'm sorry. You know, it's just bad luck. I mean, I've had so many cancer patients tell me that over the years, you know, did you ask your doctor what caused it? And I said, yeah. The doctor said, uh, I don't really know. It's just bad luck or, or it runs in your family, which are, both absolutely untrue. Uh, and we can dive into that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you with all of these hundreds of interviews you've done, what would you say improves outcomes and also, you know, prevents cancer? What, what are the biggest things that do that? Yes. Yeah, so both in the interviews that I've done with hundreds of world leading oncologists, scientists, naturopathic doctors, uh, top medical doctors, functional medicine doctors and naturopathic oncologists who are treating thousands of cancer, cancer patients every single day, hundreds and hundreds of hours there, hundreds and hundreds of hours in the research, looking at the peer reviewed literature um, and then combining all of this, you know, thousands of hours of time uh, dedicated to this into some really core, simple foundational understandings about what causes cancer. It, starts to paint a picture and a blueprint of like, okay, this starts to make sense. It's not the luck of the draw. It's not uh, primarily genetics. Even go to cancer.gov and look up uh, hereditary cancer statistics. They, they even say less than 5% of cancer is hereditary, meaning 95% of it is not hereditary. It's not based on your genetics. And then if we implement the science of epigenetics, which is profound science that shows that we can turn on and off genes based on diet and lifestyle choices. We can literally turn down cancer genes. We can turn down the BRCA1 gene. We can turn down genes if you're predisposed to cancer. Then, you know, that's where I believe all cancer can be avoided, at least for a majority of your life. You know, if you have a cancer, cancer takes years to grow, right? It takes years and years and years to be diagnosed. Some cancers take 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Colon cancer is a big one uh, before it's even diagnosable. Now there are tests we can do that can start to um, identify a lot of the precancer 
markers, biomarkers ahead of time, which is really helpful. But most cancers have been growing in your body for decades before you're even diagnosed. So that's the environment in which the cancer is growing. But if you sum it up into what are the underlying causes of cancer, uh, it really comes to about six different things. And the first one is inflammation. The second one is elevated blood glucose. The third one is environmental toxins. The fourth one is stress. The fifth one is an unhealthy diet. And the sixth one is lifestyle behaviors. Now, all of these things actually could be combined under lifestyle behaviors for the most part, um, even including environmental toxins. But some of those things are out of our control. A lot of it, I mean, 80% plus of it is within our control. And I can prove that to people who just think, and I hear this, oh, well, if everything causes cancer, you know, sunscreen and the sun and the toxins in the air and this and that, then why does it matter? Why should I care? Well, why you should care is because you actually have more controls than you think. And, you know, at, at the core of cancer, uh, oxidative stress, chronic inflammation, um, uh, damage to the mitochondria, uh, mitochondria dying off, cells trying to survive and adapt. So they start to chronically ferment. And through that chronic fermentation process, they start to uh, switch over primarily to aerobic glycolysis, which means they are uptaking a tremendous amount of glucose for their fuel source and only producing about two ATP versus a healthy cell through healthy cellular respiration is producing uh, 36 ATP, I believe, through a normal uh, uh, oxygen-based healthy cellular respiration. Can you just explain what ATP is for people who don't know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, ATP, basically, the, the simple understanding is it is like the life force of our cells. It is the energy um, force of our cells. It, ATP is necessary for uh, just about every cellular function within the body. So we need ATP produced on a regular basis for the cells to eliminate waste, to bring um, to transfer, you know, vitamins and minerals to do the millions and millions of functions that the cells do. So without ATP, it's kind of like the gasoline for the car, I would say. It's that gasoline that keeps things moving forward. If you run out of ATP, your car dies. You run out of, you know, gas, your car dies. You run out of ATP, your body dies. Well, your body's not going to run out of ATP. What it's going to do is if, you know, the damage, the inflammation, the toxins, the poor diet, the stress, the cells getting damaged, the mitochondria dying off, what's going to do is it's going to switch. It's going to adapt. This is why there are some of us who believe that cancer is saving your life. Rather than all your cells dying off and can't produce any ATP, they say, well, we still need to produce ATP. So, but there's dysfunction here and there's problems and, and damage to the DNA and damage to the mitochondria. So we're going to switch our fuel source to uh, primarily glucose. And what that means is, is it can take up a massive amount of glucose, which can be beneficial, but it's also highly inefficient. So it's producing significantly less gasoline for your body, less ATP, than if your cells are just healthy going through normal healthy cellular respiration. So without getting too nerdy into the science, like I like to do with that kind of stuff. Um, that's kind of the basic, basic understanding. So then you have to ask the question, okay, so what is damaging the mitochondria? If cancer is actually a mitochondrial disease, like some very revered scientists have shown that it is, 
even one who who won the Nobel Prize uh, in the early 1900s, showing that cancer is a mitochondrial disease. It's a metabolic disease. It's not a disease of the genome. It's not something that you have to attack with chemicals and destructive warlike forces to try and rip out of your body. Even though I'm not against conventional medicine, I do think surgeries can be helpful at times. I do think certain, you know, uh, certain cancer treatments can be helpful at times. That's up to each individual. And also, I would say, look at the, the research and the outcomes of those treatments so that you're educated on what decision is best for you. Some cancers have 0% improved benefit with chemotherapy and radiation, 0%. Other cancers have 2%, 5%. Testicular cancer has 50%. So it all depends, right? But the largest study on chemotherapy ever done in the world with hundreds of thousands of people from the US and from Australia found that cancer only improved five-year survival. Chemotherapy amongst 22 adult cancers only improved uh, five-year survival rate by 2.3%. Mm. So I'm not saying, again, you know, like I said, that's grouped together, 22 major cancers grouped together. Some of those do better, some of them do worse. But it's good for people to know that information before choosing a therapy that can literally destroy your immune system, destroy your life, and open up your body for more diseases or chronic infections to appear. But going back to what we were talking about in terms of the mitochondria, like, so what damages mitochondria? Okay, now we're getting to the root. If cancer is a mitochondrial disease, then, or dysfunction of the mitochondria, breakdown of the cell, damage to the DNA, then what does that? Well, that was the six things I just mentioned. Inflammation, oxidative stress. These are things, it's well-researched and understood in the peer-reviewed literature the chronic inflammation is not only a byproduct of cancer, it is actually a underlying cause of cancer. And without getting too nerdy in the science of why that is, is basically the cell, it's basically the, the, um, the damage and repair process of the cells. So let's say you have an infection and that infection is not going away. And your body is sending in repair cells to, to repair what the damage that the infection is doing. Well, it's damage and repair, damage and repair, damage and repair, damage and repair. And that process alone is chronically inflammatory and leads to cancer cell proliferation. So one of the things, if we want to reduce our cancer risk, is to get at the root cause of what causes chronic inflammation. We know not all inflammation is bad, Right. Some inflammation is good. If I go and do a high intensity exercise or I go and lift weights, I'm going to have some oxidative stress. I'm going to have some inflammation. But when you compare the inflammation before that workout uh, and then after that workout, inflammation increases, oxidative stress increases, and then you repair from that and then you go work out again, you actually now have less inflammation because your body has adapted through the process of hormesis, known as hormetic stressors, and makes you adapt so that you can handle more inflammation and your body produces more immune system repair cells, right? So that it can handle that kind of inflammation. It's the chronic inflammation that's a problem. It's when you're chronically inflamed, eating inflammatory foods or foods that cause inflammation, like meat, animal products, animal products, are high in heme iron. Meat is high in heme iron. Well, heme iron is known to be an oxidative stressor. 
So the more heme iron that you're having, the more oxidative stress you are putting on the body. Well, in our society today, people are eating more meat today than, than humans have ever before in history that we know of. Um, I don't believe that, you know, a million years ago, people were only living on meat as some people believe, you know, cavemen and so forth. There's no way, there's no way. If anybody has ever been out in nature or even look at tribes, you know, 20,000, 30, 40,000 years ago, it is, let's go back 100,000 years. It is very, very, very difficult to go out and hunt animals for your food to feed yourself and your family and your tribe. It, it's so difficult to get one, you know, one animal, to go kill one animal, to feed yourself. And even look at people who are still living very close to nature today in different parts around the world. Um, many of the places that are, you know, either called blue zones or other even tribes that are living much closer to the earth. And most of them are not eating meat three times a day, seven days a week. You know, they're eating it once a week. They're eating, you know, a lot of, but they're, but they're gathering or they're growing foods or they're eating fruits they're eating tubers or eating vegetables you know, they're, uh, they're fasting. We know intermittent fasting is one of, intermittent fasting and fasting is one of the best ways to activate autophagy, which is cleaning up these dead cells, uh, going in and cleaning up cancer cells, removing them from the body. So we have this combination today of people eating way too much meat, way too many animal products, which is leading to oxidative stress and inflammation, eating too much as well, and then add on top of that white flours, white sugars, that are, you know, pro-inflammatory, that are pro-cancerous, that are feeding, you know, sending that glucose straight to the cancers. And then, uh, you know, then the stress and the toxins and you add all that up. No wonder cancer has gone from literally 0.05% in the early 1900s to almost 50%, 123 years later. Like, we're almost at 50% of people having cancer. It's crazy. It is. You know, 100 years ago, it was it was literally less than 1%. And we can, I can definitely look at this and say, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, in my personal and professional opinion, this is, this cancer skyrocketing is primarily due to diet and lifestyle. And we actually have journals that have backed that up. You know, Nature, uh, the reputable, uh, uh, published uh, scientific journal Nature published an article a number of years ago, actually recently, that said upwards of, basically I interpreted it to read upwards of 90% of cancer is diet and lifestyle and related. Now, they didn't, it wasn't that word for word, but that's basically how you could interpret what they were reporting on with the research. And I agree. I think most of it is diet and lifestyle, but it's not about eliminating the cancer completely. Because if you're 80 or 90 years old and you have cancer show up, most cancers are not debilitating, right? Most cancers are not going to, most cancers don't have a ton of pain associated with it or a ton of symptoms. Of course, some do, some do, and that's not to minimize that at all. But most cancer for most people, you could live with a cancer diagnosis for 20, 30, 40 years and be okay if that tumor, for example, never grew or it didn't metastasize and spread throughout your body, right? If you had it kind of under control with your diet and lifestyle. So it's not always about, oh, we gotta go take it out and radiate it and kill it and cut it out immediately. Actually, I think it's saving your life. And so maybe the surgery could help. 
Maybe some low-dose chemo could help. IPT, insulin-potentiated therapy, which is very targeted, using insulin to target the cancer cells. But we know that chemotherapy and radiation don't eliminate the cancer stem cells. And this is published in the literature. So, you know, it's if you want to get at the root of the cancer, you also have to get the stem cells because the cancer stem cells will allow new cancers to metastasize. So, you know, looking at it from a holistic view, kind of to wrap that piece up, okay, the underlying causes of the damage to the cell, inflammation, oxidative stress, foods, high in animal products can do this. Toxins are, you know, toxins in the air, water, and food as well. Pesticides, herbicides, fungicides can cause uh, damage to the cell, damage to the mitochondria, damage to the DNA. Stress can do this as well. It down-regulates our immune system um, and prevents our bodies from healing itself. And then, of course, the un unhealthy diet and lifestyle behaviors like alcohol, smoking cigarettes, sedentarism, you know, these kinds of things, not exercising at all. These are things that can all contribute towards a cancer diagnosis. And on the flip side, these are all things that we can uh, do the opposite of <laughs> to help our bodies heal itself. Well, you know, I know people hear this and it's overwhelming to them. Like, oh my gosh, I have to change everything. So where would you begin? What would you tell people to start? Well, where I began was stop putting the bad stuff in the body. And that took time. Stop smoking cigarettes. Okay. That was a big one for me. You know, if you're smoking cigarettes, you know, it causes cancer. You know, it is um, highly toxic to your body. You smell terrible. You know, it's highly addictive. I get it. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day at 17 years old. I mean, I started experimenting with cigarettes when I was like nine, 10 years old and got fully addicted at 15 and smoked until I was, I think, 20, around 20 or 21 and two packs a day. So I know how addictive it is. And, but these are things that are within our control. So figure out what are the toxins that you're putting in that are contributing the most. Cigarettes are a big one. Alcohol is a big one. You know, yeah, maybe you're not like me and you want to quit alcohol hundred percent, but you could reduce it substantially, you know, reduce the hard alcohol completely, reduce the beer completely. There's no benefit in either of those for your health whatsoever. There's no benefit. Yeah, there's an argument to be made that, you know, red wine, especially if the sulfites are removed and it's organic, but I don't even know if you can get real, I don't even know if you can buy red wine without the sulfates in it. So, you know, these things, yeah, even though you say, well, it's got resveratrol, it's healthy for you, but you're, are you negating the benefits of that by having the, the sulfites in the wine that are actually uh, causing oxidative damage to the cells. So either way you say, yeah, but I love my wine. Okay. Have a couple glasses of wine a week, reduce it, you know, reduce the toxins coming in. We know that tap water, for example, this is a simple one. Everyone can do tap water is filled with in most cities and you can check online. I think EWG, the environmental working group, I think through them or pretty sure it's through them. They have a website where you can go and check the water that's been tested in your area, you will be blown away what's in your tap water. And it goes right into your glass and it goes right into your skin. You're absorbing when you're taking showers or washing your face. It's filled with pharmaceutical drugs. It's filled with neuroendocrine disruptors and hormone disruptors. It's filled with pesticides, herbicides, 
all kinds of chemicals. It's filled with chemicals and pesticides that have been shown to basically medically castrate frogs in scientific studies. They expose the frogs, the male frogs, to this chemical, and by the end of the study, none of them could reproduce offspring anymore. Mm. You know, these are the kinds of things that are in our tap water. These are the kinds of things that you're drinking uh, every single day, and it's really easy to stop putting those chemicals in your body. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting-edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. I just want to ask you in terms of a water filter, like if you want a whole, it doesn't have to be a whole house one, but your water faucet from your sink, what do you recommend for that? Yeah. So, so filter your water from your sink and in your shower. Um, I have a simple charcoal water filter on our showers that, you know, uh, there's some good charcoal filters that take out 99% of that junk. You can buy them online on, on Amazon, 20, 30 bucks replace them every three or four months. It's worth it because your skin is your largest organ that absorbs all of, you know, absorbs a mass amount of that water and what's in that water into your bloodstream. So filter the showers, uh, which I know a lot of people don't do, and it's really easy to do. And then, yeah, the filter water that you drink and you cook with, same thing. A reverse osmosis is fine. I have a really high-end one, but I don't you know, recommend it that much just because I don't think most people can afford it. I've done a lot of work with the the company's called Spring Aqua. And so, you know, the owner came over to my house. He hooked us up with one of these systems. I love it and, and I highly recommend it. It's just not practical for most people, but people can check that out at Spring Aqua, A-Q-U-A, I think, dot com, uh, I think forward slash panacea, um, if they want to check that out. But I think even just a regular reverse osmosis, um, uh, that has, you know, a three-stage filtration system in it is totally fine. Those have been shown, and you can get those for a couple hundred bucks, you know, I don't, but has been shown to be highly effective at removing a lot of these chemicals from your water. You might not remove 100%, but what if you removed 80%, 90%, 99%, you know, of the chemicals that are going into your body every single day? Imagine your cells are like, Ah, thank you. You know, it's like right. thank you. you're reducing the damage. It's it's death by a thousand cuts. You know, there's something you're just getting cut, 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 cut a thousand times a day. Well, now you drop that down to five times a day. Oh, guess what? 
now it can heal itself before the next five cuts the next day instead of, oh, we hit a thousand, we can't handle it anymore, cancer, chronic disease, et cetera. So filtering the water in your house is really easy. Easy way to stop putting the toxins in. Uh, same thing with the pans. Stop cooking on Teflon and um, aluminum and any major nonstick uh, pans. Most of them, even the ones that say, oh, this is from Europe, it's healthy nonstick. Most of it's not. It's actually crap. You know, your best pans to cook with and, and crap, meaning filled with toxins and proven, you know, and that those toxins leak into the food that you're cooking. Even those ceramic ones, you know, I know there's a lot of... So ceram pure ceramic is a good option. Pure ceramic, but they're expensive, but a pure ceramic or, I mean, your best bet, I know they're not as convenient, um, but stainless steel and cast iron. Those are always going to be your best bet. They'll last you forever. Um, and they are not going to leach, you know, heavy metals and chemicals into your food and cast cast iron um, is, you know, actually there are some companies that are making it where it is uh, polished. So it's less sticky to cook on. Um, but you just, you know, I love cast iron. So stainless steel or cast iron or, or pure ceramic seems to be a really good option. So get the toxins out of there and then, and then the air you breathe in your home. So most people spend most of their time actually in their home and in their workplace. And there was a study done that showed the, the air in most people's homes is actually more toxic than the air, the pollution that's in the air outside the streets in New York City. Oh my goodness. And you know, there's a lot of pollution there just because there's a lot of cars. There's a lot of, you know, pollution coming off the buildings. There's a lot of pollution there that people are breathing. Well, in your home, you don't see pollution and yet it's more toxic to be in your home than it is to be out in the streets in New York City breathing in all those fumes. And why is that? Well, if you look around your home, you have these, this paint that's off-gassing. You have these couches that are off-gassing chemicals. You have these fire retardant uh, carpets that are off-gassing chemicals. You have formaldehyde in the cupboards. You have everything around you is off-gassing some kind of chemical that you're breathing. And they have a half-life of 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, they'll off-gas for decades. So, oh my God, my home's a disaster. I got to get out of here. No, there was a study done by NASA uh, a number of years ago that showed one living plant per 100 square feet in your home will clean up most of those VOCs and, and volatile organic compounds, most of those toxins from the air. So one, you'll dress up your house and make it beautiful, you know, get a plant in every room. Uh, aloe vera is a fantastic one that soaks up and transmutates a lot of toxins from the air, but all plants do it. So one, so, you know, one per hundred square feet, think of it that way. And, or some, some air filters, you know, I really like, and I highly recommend air doctor, air doctors, fantastic. Um, we recommend those through, uh, my newsletter list. And then also you can combine like an air doctor filter in a room with some plants. And now you're really cleaning up the air. You know, you can do it cheaply with plants or you can spend a little bit of money investment in an air filter. But all these things I'm recommending are not expensive. You know, a, a filtration system for your water and your shower, your shower and, and your sink. Those are not expensive nowadays. The, the plants, they're not expensive. You know, you get a plant for six bucks, um, you know, and then change the soil once every six months and water it. And you got something to take care of that gives you life to your home. Great idea. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things are just things, you know, the pans. Yeah. 
a good set of stainless steel or a good set of cast iron pans is going to be a little bit of an investment, but you don't need to buy 20 pans. You know, you can buy three or four good ones that you do most of your cooking with. And then that's going to re- last you the rest of your life. So these are big air, water, um, cooking. These are huge ones. And then the other big one is in the food. So if you're eating a lot of processed food, if you're eating a lot of, uh, well, I'll give five. So food will be the fourth. If you're eating a lot of conventional food that is sprayed with pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, if you're eating a lot of packaged food that's filled with additives and food coloring and, and different kinds of things that we know are disrupting our hormones that are leading to oxidative stress, that are leading to chronic inflammation, um, these are things we got to get out of the diet. So primarily eating a, a whole food, nutrient-dense, primarily plant-based diet, vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, berries, mushrooms, onions. These are all antioxidant-filled foods. They're all filled with fiber, which we know reduces colon cancer risk and lots of other chronic disease risk. We know they're filled with vitamins and minerals and amino acids. Your body needs to thrive and repair. Um, you know, Adding a whole food nutrient-dense and organic diet is going to substantially reduce cancer risk as well as all-cause mortality and increase basically more quality of life, not just uh, 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 lifespan, but health span, right? So this is something that all of us can do. And people say, oh, well, organic's expensive. Yes and no. If you go to the packaged aisle and buy organic, it's always way more expensive. If you go to the fruit and vegetables uh, aisle, you know, not aisle, but fruit and vegetables area, organic there is literally most of the time pennies more. Now it depends, you know, bell peppers are going to be more, but like a lot of the basic staples of organic versus conventional, if you're buying real living food for most of it, even dried food, beans and rice and things like that, it's not substantially more expensive, but it's substantially better for you, in my opinion, because you're not putting all those chemicals into your body. Maybe you can't buy 100% organic. Well, buy some fruits and vegetables organic and buy less processed food. And you're just putting, again, less and less toxins into your body. Less, that's really, it's not to get rid of all toxins forever. We're not going to, in this world today, we're not going to do that. Right. But if we can, if we can reduce or mitigate your toxic exposure by 80%, I mean, just imagine, I mean, our bodies are meant to thrive. They're meant to repair. They're meant to heal themselves. It's just this overload that's happening that doesn't allow it. And then, yeah, 35, 40 years old, people are being diagnosed with cancer like never before, you know, and they're dying earlier. And I, I mean, this is the first generation coming up that is expected to live less than their parents did. Why? It's, I believe it's everything that we're talking about right now. So yes, you can increase organic and the more organic you buy, the more the prices are going to come down. We tell the market what we want and the market responds, right? True. And going to farmer's markets is a great idea. 100%. And then uh, the fifth one I'll share with everyone is what you put on your body. So I've said this for years, what you put in your body and on your body becomes your body at a cellular level. What you put on your body and in your body becomes your body. So if you're putting lotion on and soaps and detergents and deodorants and toothpaste and makeup and all these things that are filled with chemicals, Read the label on the back label on all these. Don't read the front label. I do a, a webinar presentation on this. 
The front label, they'll mislead you. They'll put an avocado and they'll say it's got vitamin E and it's all healthy. And then you read the back and it's like you look up those chemicals, endocrine disruptor, um, potentially carcinogenic, you know, uh, all kinds of problems in these things. Because to be honest, the skincare industry is kind of like the Wild West. This is what my friend Brian Vaisley says, who's done a lot of research in longevity and anti-aging, and this, he owns a skincare company. He says, it's like the Wild West. There's nobody out there really regulating it. And certainly not doing studies on when you put, you know, 20 different kinds of man-made chemicals together in a bottle and then pour it on your skin every day. And fragrance. And fragrance. You know, for 30 years, there's no studies proving that's safe at all, even for five years. You know, they, they do research on one little ingredient at a time by itself in a silo for 30 or 60 or 90 days. And they go, oh, yeah, this is okay for you. And then 10 years later, we get these, whether it's a pharmaceutical or it's a chemical that's been in our food or in our children's schools or whatever. Oh, this actually causes cancer. We're sorry. Yeah, you're sorry after you made tens of billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of people or maybe millions you know, uh, develop cancer within their bodies, being exposed to it every single day. So again, that's simple. Like you can really simplify that to one word and that's organic. If you invest in organic for your body care products, you are removing 95% plus of all those chemicals that are inside. You can't have in a USDA organic certification in body care products. This is where it actually gets tested. You can't have anything you can't have more than uh, 5% of anything synthetic in there. So you are basically assuring that you're, you know, shampoos. I mean, everything. When I learned this, you know, 15 years ago, I was like, I got rid of everything. And I use one soap for basically everything. It's shampoo, it's body wash, it's, you know, um, dishwashing, everything. And there's other lots of other options now. Back then there wasn't. Yeah. This is so good to know because, you know, I know there's the EWG.org where you can look up yes. if it's toxic and Think Dirty is another app. But like you said, if you just do organic, then you're eliminating so many of these chemicals. I didn't even realize that. It's really easy. Yeah, it's really easy. And then, you know, Dr. Bronner's is a good one I like. Um, there's toothpaste too. You know, I don't buy toothpaste that has fluoride in it. Fluoride is a known toxicant. So it's like, why would I put that in my body? I use Dr. Bronner's too. <laughs> oh, it's safe in small doses. Well, you're using it twice a day, every day for, for your entire life. Is it safe in that amount? Oh, we don't know. Yeah, of course you don't know. You won't study that. So just buy organic. It makes it simple, you know? Um, and so that really, I mean, to put a pin on it. And then uh, the bonus one is stress. Stress is actually a toxin. Stress anxiety, fear, anger, resentment, constant, you know, self-pity and sadness. These are actual toxins. Now, they serve a purpose when necessary. You know, they can catalyze us for transformation. You get angry enough. It's, I'm so sick of feeling this way or doing this. I'm going to do something about it. That's using anger in a positive way, right? Uh, depression, sadness, you lost somebody. Like, Feel it, feel that sadness, feel that depression and use it to catalyze yourself into action. You know, I, I was depressed after a major business failure a number of years ago. And for two weeks, I was just like, didn't know what to do. I felt so terrible. I felt so depressed. And all of a sudden it hit me and I was like, oh, 
this is depression. It's like, I remember one of my early mentors told me about depression. He said, uh, the fastest way out of depression is to move, move your body. So I started running. I started trail running. And very quickly, it got me out of depression and got me, you know, what I call solution-minded oriented, solution-oriented mindset. It was like, all right, I can solve this. I can fix this. I can do better. Yeah, you're still going to feel a little bit of depression, but it's like you're making progress. And progress is going to pull you out of depression faster than anything when combined with movement, running, cycling, exercise, whatever. Get your body moving. Get your neurochemicals being released. Your endorphins being released makes you feel good. You can think better, and then you can take better actions. So stress, chronic stress, also downregulates the immune system. Dr. Thomas Lodi said it best in my documentary, uh, Cancer, the Integrative Perspective. He said, there is a cure for cancer. It's called the immune system. If you have a fully functioning immune system, you'll never have to worry about a cancer diagnosis. So when we're focusing on all these things I'm talking about that downregulate the immune system or upregulate it. So this is our autonomic nervous system. And we actually, scientists used to think we didn't have control over this. Now they know that we do. We do have control over the autonomic nervous system. Normally autonomic means automatic. You have no control. Well, it, most of the time it is working all by itself, but when you learn to hack the immune system or learn to self-regulate it, now we can actually turn up the immune system, which is going to go out and help identify cancer and other chronic diseases and, and do its best to, to heal. It's not as simple as that, but it is, but it is at the same time. And so stress down regulates our immune system. It literally turns it off because our sympathetic nervous system is activated. We're releasing cortisol and adrenaline and other neurochemicals that literally turn down the energy going to our immune system. So what do we need to do? We need stress reduction practices. Qigong, I do every morning. Meditation, gratitude practices, I do twice a day. Uh, relaxation practices, massage, uh, Reiki, uh, yoga, things that are going to stimulate a parasympathetic nervous system response. One thing I've been using lately that I really love is uh, tuning forks. And I'll you know hit the two together as I'm laying there at night before bed and just listen to them with both ears. And it's so, I mean, that resonance of the sound from those tuning forks are just totally putting you into a parasympathetic state before you go to bed. That's great. Wait, is there a bowl or you just do it with? Tuning forks are just uh, aluminum forks that put out a very specific uh, sound frequency, a sound note, like C, G, D, B, right? And you can just hit them on anything and then uh, meditate on them. And it's so powerful. Like if you're having a stressful day, if you're, you know, uh, even during the day, you just had a stressful conversation or you're upset about something, you just sit down, boom, hit those together, listen to them and focus on the sound until the sound goes away. And it takes you into such a deeply meditative state. It relaxes your nervous system and it tells your body, okay, we're relaxed. Sympathetic nervous system, we're going down. Parasympathetic, we're turning up. Immune system, we're turning on. This is self-regulation. We can turn on our immune system at will with these kinds of stress reduction practices. So yeah, it's a lot. Where do you start? Well, pick one. Right. <laughs> what? You know, pick one and start there and then work on the next and then pick, do that and then work on the next and do it, work on the next. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you can't do all this overnight, but see where in your life you're struggling the most 
and then pick one and get guidance to support you along the way. Um, we have coaches at Conquering Cancer that do uh, coaching uh, twice a month and take people through this kind of step by step. Um, I have a, a in, an ebook I can give everybody that walks people through this as well. They can start to, you know, pick some of these things and start focusing on the things that will matter the most to them. Um, the thing is, it's just getting started. It's just, or you're already started. You're already doing some of these things. Now let's take it to the next level. Let's do the next thing. Let's get better. You know, let's start adding in sauna. All right. We can add in sauna twice a week. That's doable. You know, all right, let's just go organic or let's just stop buying skincare products, you know, that are that are filled with chemicals. Pick one thing, go with it, do that for a month and then come back, get some support, some guidance, read the ebook, get some coaching, do the next thing for a month, do the next thing. All of a sudden it's a lifestyle. It's not a a habit, right? It becomes something you look forward to because you feel better the more that you do these things. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. I mean, anyone can do this and you feel empowered, you know, and when you feel empowered, you want to do more. So this is so great. Are there any last messages for the audience that you want to leave? The thing I would leave people with, which I think is most important, is there's always hope. Cancer does not have to be a death sentence. There are solutions. There's a lot of great functional medicine practitioners you can work with, who can work with you one-on-one, who can guide you through a more holistic approach. I always recommend, you know, if you're working with a medical doctor, get a second opinion, a third opinion, uh, have a naturopathic doctor in your corner, have a, you know, a therapist or a stress reduction, you know, mass like practitioner supporting you along the way. Um, or a doctor of oriental medicine, for example, it can use some of these ancient healing methods, have multiple people in your corner that are cheering you on and supporting you. Sometimes it's hard when you're dealing with a chronic health condition and it doesn't matter what it is, cancer, addiction, it doesn't matter where you can feel alone, where you feel like nobody understands you, where people just, uh, don't know how to communicate with you or you with them. And so getting involved in a support group you know, being part of a community, getting that support is so, so powerful, whether it's a coaching program, like I was talking about, or it's a, it's a, it's an online group. It's a local group just where you can share these ideas and, and talk through some of these things. So I think that's essential. And there are local uh, holistic cancer support groups. You can look up, I'll give the name to everyone. Uh, They're free and they're all over the country. And these are people who are following basically a lot of what I just shared. And it's healingstrong.org. So if you go to healingstrong.org, fantastic people. And you can find local support groups through them. It's all nonprofit. Um, But I'd say that's, you know, that's essential. Excellent. Thank you so much. I know how much this is going to help people. So I appreciate your time. And yeah, we could always do it again. <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love to. Thanks for having me on. I love what you're doing. I love this podcast. I think you're helping so many people with this and uh, honored to, to be here and uh, appreciate you for having me. So thank you. Thanks so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, 
The sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.